going to preach the word of the Lord. That's what I'm here to do. Malachi chapter 1. And uh, thank you, Brother Schultz, for reading that passage in our hearing. So it's going to allow me to skip over some of these verses and not have to cover them in their entirety. I'm very excited. Uh, the next four weeks, we're going to talk out of the book of Malachi. How many did their homework? Oh, oh, come on now. Did that make it on social media? We do our, we did our, oh, I am so disappointed. Now you get your Bible and you read your Bible, okay? Malachi, we're in the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter one, it's only 14 verses. I'm not going to read all of them. Brother Schultz already did that, but we're just going to skip over. I am very thankful, and I, I really feel like a number of years ago, many of you remember, we did a series in the church here called The Three Key. The Three Key. That was out of Colossians chapter number three, and I felt like that chapter in the Bible literally like covers the entire Christian life. So if you can get the key out of Colossians three, there are principles and precepts that will make your life better in your walk with God. I feel like this book of the Bible is equally the same. There are principles out of Malachi that I believe are going to feed us and help us to be the people God wants us to be and the church God wants us to be. Amen. Amen. So I'm excited about these next four weeks and what we're going to talk about. And I'm, I'm going to try to take the part of Malachi and just talk about what he was trying to say to God's people Israel. All right. Are you with me? Verse number one, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Verse 2, notice, I have loved you, God says, saith the Lord, yet you say, yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? And then he, he uh, explains what he means by that. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I love Jacob. Verse 6, a son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? If I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name? And you say... Where have we despised thy name? And he's explaining to them how they despise the name of the Lord. You offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and you say, Wherein have we polluted thee? And that you say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto your governor, Malachi says. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? Verse 10, who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught or for no apparent reason, for nothing? Neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for nothing. And God makes the fateful statement, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. Verse 12, but you have profaned it in that you say the table of the Lord is polluted and the fruit thereof, even as meat is contemptible. You also said, Behold, what a weariness it is. And you have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And you brought that which was torn. And you brought the lame. And you brought the sick for sacrifice. He said, Thus you brought an offering. Should I accept this at your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver, God says, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth and sacrifice unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For, God says, I am a great king saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathens. What a great king that he is. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, bless the word of God to your people. I pray, Jesus, give us fluency today. I pray anointing. Talk to us. You talk to us in the 9 a.m. I just pray, just do the same thing in this 11 a.m. service. Bless your people. Help us to learn. Help us to hear you, what you were saying to Israel through Malachi and receive it and apply it into our lives and into the church. Jesus.
Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Now, uh, as we, if you've got a Bible, I'd welcome you to be there. As we walk through the closing moments of the Old Testament, uh, it is interesting there are a number of uh, very small prophetic books that are referred to as the, the minor prophets. If you've gone through Bible study, you recognize the minor prophets, and of course, we also have the major prophets. Now, the minor prophets were not more valuable or, and better than the major prophets, or the major prophets were not better than the minor prophets. It just literally means that the minor prophets, their books are a little shorter in nature, and the, the uh, major prophets just preach longer sermons. So, um, at least that's, that's my take. Um, but no, we know that the minor prophets are no, no less valuable in what they have to say and their import and their impact and the power of what they had to say for Israel. So, the other thing that sometimes we don't take into account as we study the scriptures is that there are a number of parallels in uh, uh, contemporary prophets that though we read their books, we read, may read one book, we may read Malachi, we may read Zechariah or Haggai, we think of preachers that are preaching in different periods of time when the truth of the matter is many of them were contemporaries that were preaching during the same era of time. So you have a number, there's a convergence of Old Testament prophets during a very special time in Israel's history, which is pretty cool. A prophetic time where God is dealing with his people in a, in a dynamic way. And they're in the middle of a resurgence and a revival and God's moving in a powerful way and the prophets are preaching and the people are working and God is doing a great work. A number of those prophets like Haggai and Zechariah are prophesying and encouraging the people to continue the work of God. They had come out of Babylonian captivity. They are back in Israel in their homeland. They're rebuilding a temple for worship, a place where God's people could come together in a center of focus of worship for their lives in Israel's lives. So Haggai is encouraging the people to continue to build to build the work. You have Zerubbabel and Zechariah. They're prophesying about the foundation of the house of God. And so they're, they're, they're in a process that the prophetic words that they are preaching are mobilizing God's people to move the mission of God forward. And I want everybody to say forward with me. Because God's will is that we go forward. And so... The prophets are prophesying and they're working over a period of time to bring the people of God into a right alignment and arrangement with God and get their lives to where it needed to be and their national worship to where it needed to be. During this time also we have another contemporary that oftentimes you read his book outside of and think it's disconnected from these other books, but they're not. Nehemiah is there as a leader encouraging the people to build a wall to build a wall around Jerusalem so that the worship of God and God's people would be protected. And so Nehemiah is building, is building a wall. All of this time, the temple is rebuilt. They have a temple. They have a church. They now have worship that's taking place. There is a tremendous revival that is happening in their midst. You have, you have the priest Ezra that is teaching the word of God, and so the word of God is being taught. The people are receiving truth, and they're incorporating it into their lives, and they now have a temple to worship in. There's a convergence that's taking place. and So what are you saying? I'm saying that they were in the midst and in the throes of a dynamic and a powerful revival. Mm. And I, I, you know, we all know we love that word, don't we? Come on, church. We love the word revival, don't we? Revival, revival. 
Why is revival a great word in the church? Because it's speaking of a resurgence of the things of God and and the Spirit of the Lord is, is working and God's people are harmonized and galvanized and working together and focused on God and the things of God. And the Lord is, is actively participating and involved in their lives individually as well as in their life nationally. And they're in the middle of this awesome, powerful revival. And it was awesome. And so as these prophets and during Malachi, they're looking back at this moment. But things are very, very different now. They're not like the revival. That's a very distant memory. It's not all that, that far away, but it is, it is distant. And the apathy that often leaks into human nature and culture had now cooled the people spiritually. And now they're not having the revival like they had had before. In the book of Malachi, a governor is mentioned as receiving sacrifices in this book, and we know that Nehemiah, while he was leader, never did so. And so they believe during the time of the writing of the book of Malachi that Nehemiah had probably made an accountability trip back to Persia. So their spiritual leadership is now in Persia, reconnecting in Persia. And it is thought during this time that not only is Nehemiah disconnected, but they, they believe that during this time Ezra the scribe, the one that brought the people back to the word of God, had now died during this period. So there's no active, strong teaching ministry that's taking place. Their leadership is, is, uh, is not there. And so in the absence of spiritual leaders and the prophets of God and the teachers, we find, according to Malachi, that the priests had gotten lazy. The people are now cold, they're carnal and indifferent. It's a backsliding nation, and it's a nation that is in incredibly serious trouble. But thank the Lord for his mercy, because in, in, this, in this state, this cold, backslidden state that Israel is now in, along comes a preacher, along comes a man of God, a prophet that is sent to awaken the people. The preacher's name is Malachi. Malachi, what, is, what does that mean? His name literally means messenger of God, a messenger from God. So Malachi, the messenger of God, comes to the people of God to awaken them out of their spiritual stupor and slumber. Interestingly, we know very little about Malachi. The book of Malachi says very little about him or his upbringing or what he was like. He was much like Obadiah, not unlike Habakkuk. He is simply Simply the messenger of God. He is the prophet of God for the people, and he is a man on a mission. They believe that this book is written about 400 years before the birth of Christ. 400 years. So I want you to take, if you've got your Bible, how many's got their Bibles with them today? I hope you got a Bible. Bring a Bible, I know, or maybe you got your iPhone, but if you've got a Bible, it's going to help a little better. I want you to open up your Bible to the book of Malachi. What is the next book of the Bible that follows the prophecy of Malachi. Okay, the next book of the Bible is Matthew, right? Do you realize that between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew, I know it's just in your Bible, it's just maybe a page. But in that page between Malachi and Matthew is over 400 years. 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. So you say, well, pastor, how come we're in the book of Malachi? What are we talking about Malachi? What is this book's significance? Why is it important? 
Because the book of Malachi, notice with me this morning, is the last book of the Old Testament. Amen? Last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And after Malachi wraps up his prophecy, we literally have 400 years before another prophet comes on the scene named John the Baptist and begins to preach the word of God to people. So what are you saying? What's the significance? What does that mean? That means that when Malachi's message was unheard, that means when those that were hearing the prophetic word from God to them from Malachi was not received by the people, that God, what God just said is, I'm done talking. It's like a cliffhanger, the Old Testament, that God said, I've spoken now, and my people aren't listening, and we now have what is referred to as 400 years of silence. If you allow me to say it like this, it's the, Malachi is the last words of a fed-up God. It is the last resort of a passionate God that has sent prophets and has sent preachers and sent teachers and tried to awaken the people over and over again and try to bring the people back to righteousness and to holiness and to truth and to bring people back to him. And yet he sends his last resort, Malachi, imploring and, and pleading with the people, get back to God, live lives that are pleasing to the Lord, be all that God wants you to be. And when the final words of Malachi are closed, the alarm is being sounded, and we have 400 long years of silence. Malachi is sent to the people before the darkness comes. He is sent to the people before the lights go out. He is sent to the people before God goes silent and God just says, I'm not talking anymore because I've been talking long enough and I'm talking to my people. I'm pleading with my people. I've talked to them over and over and my people are not listening to me. And God, after the people not listening to him, finally goes silent. And you can hear a pin drop prophetically. 400 long years. The entire duration of our country, our country is less than 250 years old. And yet for 400 long years, God said, I'm not talking anymore. I'll tell you one prayer that every single child of God ought to have and every one of us that are part of the church ought to have. We ought to have the prayer that says, whatever you do, Lord, don't stop talking to me. Oh, God. Lord, whatever happens in my life, whatever you do, don't, don't stop talking to me. Now, I, I know, I know when the Lord talks to us, sometimes he brings words of encouragement. We thank God for that. Sometimes, though, he comes into our life and brings words of correction. And, you know, sometimes we, we hear the word of God and we say, amen. And sometimes we hear the word of God and we say, oh, me. How many know what I'm talking about? Some, sometimes the word starts stepping on your toes can't tell you how many times it's happened. It's amazing to me, and I thank God for it. How many times somebody comes and visits our church. They've never been to a Pentecostal church. So if this is your first time here to a Pentecostal church, thank you for being here and having the courage to come to Pentecostal church. After all you've heard, you're scared to death, and you're like, I came to Pentecostal church. These people are indeed crazy, and these people are indeed crazy. They're crazy about Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Holy Ghost, help us. And, and when they come, sometimes uh, something will be preached or something will be said, and they'll look at the, the one that brought them, and they say, How? okay, I, did you tell that preacher about what I'm going through in my life? They may come up to the front around the altars here, and somebody begins to pray with them, and they, they, they tell the person that brought them to church, well, well did you, you must have told them about what I'm going through in my life. Guess what? God didn't tell the preacher. 
God didn't tell the prayer warrior. But you know what? God knows exactly where you are. Nobody's been talking about you. Nobody's been telling on you. But the Lord, guess what? There is a God. There is a God that knows right where you are, that knows right where you live. And I'm telling you what you never want to happen in all of your life is for God to stop talking to you. You need to say, oh God, talk to me. Even if it's correction, Lord. Even if it's conviction. The worst thing that can happen in any person's life is that God begins to shut his mouth and he just says, okay. They're not listening anymore. I guess I'll just, I guess I just won't talk to them anymore. We'll be the person, we'll be the church that God ceases to speak to us. I'll tell you, there's one thing that, that we ought to pray as a church. Oh, God, talk to us. Oh, God, talk to us. Even if it offends my heart and my spirit, God, I, Lord, I want you to talk to me. Whatever happens, don't stop talking to me, Lord. Oh, God, don't ever give up on me. One of the scariest chapters in the Bible is the, is the first chapter of the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, if you read it, it says it over and over again. It says it over and over. It says, and God gave them up. It says he gave them up to commit uncleanness among them. So God gave them up. It says God gave them up. And then God gave them up. And I think it finally ends with, and God gave them up to a reprobate mind. I'm telling you, we... People talk about how big the devil is and all that stuff. Listen, the, the, the biggest problem in your life is not the devil. The worst thing that could ever happen in your life is God give you up and step back and just let you have your own way in life. I don't know about you. I don't want to just go my own way. Even if it means the Lord's got to correct me. If he's got to redirect me, whatever it takes for God to continue to talk. But whatever you do, Lord, don't give up on me. Come on, don't give up on me, Lord. Keep talking to me, God. Keep talking to me because the worst thing that could ever happen is for God to stop talking to us and for the word of the Lord to grow silent and for the word of God to no longer have an open place in our lives or in our church. And God just says, I'm not talking to you anymore. And that's exactly what happened following the prophecies of Malachi. God finally said, I brought message after message after message. And they're just not listening to me. And if they're not listening to me, I'm just not talking anymore. Oh, God, may that never happen in our lives. It elevates to me the importance and the value. When I read the book of Malachi, it, it puts a heavier, potentially a heavier, heavier degree of merit. What is, what is Malachi saying? What is so cool about the book of Malachi, and I'm excited to preach. I've been talking about it for a little while. I'm excited to preach the next few weeks out of Malachi because there are four chapters to Malachi, and there are basically four themes to the book of Malachi. They're four themes. They're simple things. They're not complicated. They're not rocket science. They're four things, and God speaks to his people and says, I want to talk to you about four things, and there are four things that if you, you will hear them, they will completely revitalize, and they will revive your life. As a matter of fact, these four principles that are in Malachi, if I can get these principles in my life, then, then I can have a realignment with God the way that God wants me to have a realignment with him. Four principles, basically, that it talks about. First principle, I'm not going to tell you because I'm going to preach about it this whole service today. The second one we're going to talk about, he talks about the priesthood. He talks about spiritual leadership and the importance of spiritual leadership. The, the third thing that he talks about is marriage and family and how important your marriage and your family and a right relationship among your family is before God. 
the fourth thing that he talks about, and we know this, we find it referred to quite often. You've come to church, you've been to church long, you've heard it referred to. The fourth thing that he talks about in Malachi is tithing. I don't want to just talk excise that, that principle, though, without putting it in the context. But God said there are four things. These are, God says, I'm going to set the record straight. There are four things. Let's keep it simple. There's four chapters. There's four things. There are four things that I want my people to get in their lives. And, and if, if my people will get these principles, there's going to be a radical realignment. And, yay, there will be a revival that the people will experience if they can get these four principles. If my people don't get these principles, we find that there's 400 years where God just said, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I have nothing else to say because I've said what I need to say. So my message this morning is Malachi's message before God went silent. Before God went silent. So the first chapter of Malachi, we're going to, that was just the introduction, just FYI. So here's my message, all right? So what was the first thing that God talked about? Notice verse number uh, one through three. Actually, verse number two, because verse number one is just introducing the book. It's Malachi. Number two, God says, I have loved you, says the Lord. God said, I have loved you, yet you say, I want you to notice that phrase. If you've got your Bible, you're going to want to mark it out because he says that same phrase about probably 12 times in the book of Malachi. He said, yet you say this, but he says, but God says, I'm saying this. I'm so glad that God's a reasonable God. Sometimes we say some stupid things. Oh, yeah, we do. We do. Sometimes I say some stupid things. But thank the Lord, when I say stupid things, God's word always trumps my stupid things. He said, okay, and that's what he's doing here. He's saying, well, you say, you say this, but I'm telling you this. He said, you say, wherein hast thou loved us? God says, wasn't Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I love Jacob, and I hated Esau. God said he hated Esau. And I know, I know, I know, I know we're... This is a powerful virtue of God, the love of God. We're thankful for the love of God. Can I also tell you, though, that, that God doesn't just love. God also hates. Everybody wants to hear about the love of God. Nobody wants to hear about the hate of God. Everybody talks about the unconditional love of God. The unconditional love of God. Please find the word unconditional in the Bible. I know we like it. I know we want it. I know what it's saying, and in most cases, it's accurate. But there is a point of no return. God loves and God also hates. In fact, God doesn't love everybody. You're going to have to think about that because you got a quizzical look on your face. It, right here it says, I hate, God said, I hated Esau. That's not my point. My point, though, is, is Malachi is coming to Israel and he's saying, he's saying, I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you, says the Lord. And the people were no longer impressed with the fact that God loved them. They, they had ingratitude in their lives that God loved them. I come to remind the church of the living God that one of the greatest gifts that ever been given to mankind is the fact that God loved us. When we didn't deserve it, his mercy and his grace was abundant. When I was not good, God didn't just give me what I deserve because if God gave me what I deserve, come on, listen up, we'd be in hell right now if God gave us what we deserve. But the mercy of God, but the goodness of God, when we were undeserving, when I was blind in sin, a good God said, I'm going to come down to you in your bad condition. And though you're doing bad and you're not what you need to be, God says, I'm going to help you and I'm going to love you. And one of the greatest gifts any human could experience is the love of God. 
Come on, church, he could have destroyed us. He could have wadded us up in a ball and thrown us away. I didn't deserve God, but God's so good that in his mercy, he decided and he said, I have loved you. I have loved you. And he's, Malachi is speaking to Israel and is reminding them, point number one before we get to anything else, Israel, you're the apple of my eye. Israel, you're valuable to me. People of God, I love you. You're special to me. And people of God, all I want in return is for you to recognize the value of my love. And I want you to know the value of the love of God in your life. And I want you to have gratitude for the love that I have for you. Amen. Can we thank the Lord today for his love? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, as we warm up to that. We thank you for that, the love of God. The love of God. The very first thing he says is, I love you. I love you. I want you to know that. I love you, Israel. My covenant community, I I love you, and I want to remind you of my love for you. And that ought to elicit out of people genuine sense of gratitude that God does love us. Amen. Verse number six, notice what God says. He says this, and he uses a metaphor and example. He says, a son honoreth his father and a servant his master. He said, if then I be a father, where is mine honor? If I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest that despise my name. And you say, wherein have we despised thy name? He said, a son honoreth his father and a servant his master. He's saying we, we know on some gut level that our fathers, we, we give a parental affection to our fathers. We honor our fathers. We honor them. I mentioned the 9 o'clock service, and I am grateful, and I, I know he's probably online right now, but um, I appreciate Andrew Dopp, and I'm so thankful that he's, he's back home. I'm thankful he's back here, and I'm thankful for what God's doing in his life. But what precipitated the, the, the strong returning and the blessing of God on Andrew's life is that the Lord spoke to him. He was living out of state, and he was thinking about his dad. And, of course, we prayed for Tim. We're praying for Tim. He was thinking about his dad and the condition that his dad's in, and something inside said. And he wasn't living for the Lord. He was away from God, but he knew the Lord was talking to him. And the Lord talked to him. It was interesting to me. Talk to him. You need to come back home, but you need to come back home because your dad's been good to you. And so Andrew, Andrew came back to Grand Rapids to be a blessing to his dad. Isn't it cool that the Lord has been a blessing to Andrew as he's honored his, his father. He honored his dad. It's the first commandment with promise. Honor your father and mother. Your days may be long upon the earth. And so he's, he's, honored, his, he's honored his dad, and that's an admirable, it's, it's a beautiful thing that, that he has done that. But, but, but God is, there's almost a rueful tone here in, in, in the word of God, and God's like, well, I mean, a son honors his father, right? And a servant is master. He's like, but, but where is, is my honor? Because God is greater than my earthly father. God is greater than my my earthly family, and shouldn't we love and reverence, and shouldn't we be grateful to God that's been better to us than any earthly family member could ever be? Doesn't God? And it's almost like God saying He's looking down on His people that are no longer honoring Him, and He's like, "Man, a father gets honor, but 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 you're not giving me honor." Let's go to verse number seven. He said, "You offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and you say, Wherein have we polluted thee?" He said, in that you say the table of the Lord is contemptible. And verse number 8 says, if you offer the blind for sacrifice, offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? 
What is God saying here? What's the point of this first message? The point of this first message, God is saying, Israel's worship was terrible. Israel's worship was awful. They're bringing sacrifices to God that was, was, was terrible. They're bringing the worst that they had. And God's looking down and he's like, the governor, I mean, would you, would you bring that? I mean, some of you probably would bring it to our governor. but um, He's like, you know, you treat the governor with which such tremendous reverence and respect and yet man you bring you bring you bring these terrible terrible sacrifices to me so what's the first message pastor first message i want to preach in this series listen up worship matters to god i'm gonna say it again worship matters to god and I'm so thankful to be in River of Life Church, 707 Northwest 17th Avenue, because there is such beautiful worship that happened, amen, at the beginning of this service flowing out of the last service. But I want to remind us as a value and as a virtue to God that worship matters to God. It matters the worship that we bring to God. God wants us to worship Him with valuable sacrifices. He doesn't like junk sacrifices. He doesn't like it when people offer junk to him. As a matter of fact, he takes it personally. He takes it personally when people bring junk sacrifices to him. And so the people of God, their Sabbath Saturday, they would get ready to go to the house of God. And when they got ready to go to church, every time they got ready to go to church, what would they bring? They would bring a sacrifice to church. They would look out across their flock they would look across their fence. They would look at the animals that were available to them. And they'd look at them, and it was time for them to go to the house of God and bring a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. And they'd look across at their flock, and they'd look at the animals, and they'd have to choose out one of those animals. And I can only imagine that while this was taking place, probably like uh, you know, one of those Hebrews looked over the fence and said, Hey, uh, Talib, 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 we must pick a sacrifice. It's time for us to go to the house of the Lord. We must go to church. It's time for us to go to church. We got to go to church, so we got to pick a sacrifice. And he looked over the fence at all the sheep that were there on the other side of the fence, and he started looking, and he saw the one sheep. And the one sheep was so beautiful. It had fluffy white wool. It was the most beautiful specimen you ever saw. And he said, oh, to leave, that would make such wonderful lamb chops. Wonderful lamb chops. We cannot take that sheep to, to temple. Because that would make wonderful lamb chops. And then he looked and he saw another one that had great big fluffy fur. And he thought, oh, what we could get at the market for that sheep. What a beautiful sheep that is. Talib, we cannot bring that sheep to the house of God. No, 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 no. That's too nice of a... No, and then he looked in the back. And in the back behind the sheep was that scraggly looking little sack of bones that was in the back. And, um, you know, it had, got, it had got stuck in the fence and broke its leg, so it walked with a bit of a hobble. And the other, none of the other sheep, I mean, this is almost like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, like, shaping up here. None of the other sheep, when they looked at that, that, that little sheep, they didn't like that sheep, so they, they would bite on that sheep. And that sheep had sores. And, and its one eye was all bloodshot and green pus and ooze was coming out of the corner of the eye of that sheep. And he said, ah, oh, Talib. Talib, we can bring, we can bring that, that one to temple for worship. Because that one, that one's no good to us. 
It was a smelly creature. In fact, we can cull it out of the flock. We don't, it, it doesn't have to be included with the flock. We can get rid of it, and we can bring it. Get, we'll, just, we'll just give it to temple. That's what we can do. And the Bible says that they brought the blind. They bought, brought that which was useless for work, that was sick and torn. It was dying on its feet. Couldn't be used for meat. It was useless to them. And they must have thought, you know, if it would serve no other purpose, then, ah, oh, that'd be good enough for God. And they brought that wretched skeleton of a beast, skin stretched over bones, sad creatures, ugly sacrifice, and they brought that to the house of God. And they said, ah, we'll just, we'll just give this to God. What, what do you say? We'll, just, we'll get rid of this. We'll give this to God. Can I tell you something today? Can I tell you something today? A cheap religion that costs nothing is rejected by God. A sacrifice that means nothing, that costs nothing, that's just junk and that's garbage, garbage it does not please God. In fact, that, that sacrifice that that guy brought that was a nasty old sacrifice was a reflection of what he thought about his God. That's why when we worship God, we give him the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. That's why we say, Lord, you've been so good to me that you deserve the best that I have. That's why people get out in the aisle. That's why people step out and they have tears in their eyes and they raise their hands to God. And they say, I'm not just bringing my body to church. Come on. Come on, Rev. You ought to be happy. I just showed up today. I've had a long, hard, arduous, bad week. In fact, Rev, you don't even know I'm kind of crabby right now. You ought to thank your lucky stars. God ought to just be happy that I came here. Let me tell you what God wants. God wants us to lift up a heart of sacrifice and worship in something inside of our hearts to say, God, you've been so good to me. Lord, I thank you, Jesus. If it was not for the Lord that had been on my side, I know that I'd be a nobody going nowhere. But, Lord, you've been good to me. And because you've been good to me, I want to worship you with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength. I haven't gotten what I've deserved in my life because I'd be lost if I got that. But I've gotten blessings everywhere I look. I've got peace in my heart. I've got harmony in my home. I'm not what I used to be. The Lord's risen me above the addictions that used to be in my life. I'm free, thank God, I'm free. And it's all because of you, my great God. And I give you worship. And I give you thanksgiving. And I give you a wonderful sacrifice because you're a good God. And you deserve, Lord, my best sacrifice because you're a good God. Hallelujah. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning and let's, let's take a little practice. And what do you say? Lift your voice and your heart and your hands. And what do you say? We take a moment and practice a little bit. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for being good to us. Hallelujah, Lord. We worship you today. We thank you, God. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. Uh, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for your blessings that are abundant in our life. Uh, thank you for eternal life. Uh, oh, hallelujah. We bless your name, Lord. We bless your name. We worship you. Uh, hallelujah. Thank you for the manifold blessings of God in our life. Uh, oh, we thank you, Jesus. You're the reason why we're here. 
You're the reason why we came to church this Sunday morning. Hallelujah. We didn't just come to receive. We've come to give today. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we glorify you, my God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're worthy, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, bless the name of Jesus. Bless the name of Jesus. That's it. We're stirring up the gift that lies in us. That's it. We love you, Lord. You're why we're here today. We are here for you, oh God. We are here to bless your name. Hallelujah. And we love you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Help us to be worshipers, oh God, from our hearts, Lord. Let there be a principle in our lives of appreciation and gratitude, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. May that be our greatest prayer in all of our lives. Why is Malachi saying this? Because he's saying, if I can get this in my life, if I get this principle, first thing he mentions is worship. You know what that means? If I can get worship flowing in my life. Come on, if I can get worship flowing on Monday. That's right. When I wake up on a cold Monday and I say, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. When I wake up on a Tuesday and I say, thank you, Lord, you put breath in my lungs. When I wake up on Wednesday and I look around and I see the manifold blessing, I say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. I wake up on Thursday and I say, thank you, God, I've got a job. Thank you, God, I've got more money than I got month. Come on, I wake up on Friday and say, I've got breath in my lungs today. I've got strength in my body and I've got health in my life. Lord, I praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, somebody. I wake up on a Saturday and I say, this is my day off. I got a day off. Thank God I don't have to work 365 days straight. I got a good God in my life. Oh, hallelujah. You know what happens then? You come to church on a Sunday after six days of prayer and praise and worship. And it's the outgrowth of a worshiping life, not an event on Sunday. And we say, the Lord's been good to me. Oh, hallelujah, because I worship him. He's an awesome God. He's a worthy God. He's the best thing that's ever happened to me every day of my life. I am blessed. Oh, praise God. Praise God. You may be seated. Amen. Worship, I'm, what are you saying? I'm saying Malachi is telling Israel, worship matters. I know we're Pentecostals. I know we got this, you know, we got these instruments and we do this. And yeah, I know. I know people hear about us before they ever get here. Those are the people. They're wild. They're crazy. They may run the aisles and all. But listen, the Bible tells us Malachi, God speaks through Malachi to Israel and elevates the value. And he says, worship matters to God. Worship matters to God. So I was thinking about this. How could I illustrate this? I thought, what if an incredibly important person were to come to our church this Sunday? And I started thinking about, you know, the example that I could give. And I don't, 
say President Trump, and some people would clap and others would cry. Former President Trump. I say President Biden, some people would clap and some people would cry. I say, so here's my example. If we can put that picture up on the screen. Anybody know who this is? This is Queen Elizabeth. That's a pretty easy example, right? She has been around forever. <laughs> Poor Charles is probably never going to become king because she's never going to give up the throne. But her dynasty has continued for a long time and to a lot of people, especially in England, what she represents and who she is means a whole, whole lot to them. The dynasty of 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 the Queen of England. And if she were to be with us on this Sunday morning and she were to show up and she flew a flight, maybe she flew into Hibbing and someone picked her up in a stretch limo and drove her all the way to River of Life Church and she came to church this morning and, and there's Queen Elizabeth and she comes walking down the aisle. We'd all be like, oh, we're so glad you're here, Queen. We're so glad you made it. We've got a special seat set aside for you right here. We'd maybe pull out a boutonniere or a corsage and we'd pin it on her and we'd say, we're so glad to have with us today the Queen of England. It's such a special. We'd probably roll out the red carpet and say, the Queen is here. Can I tell you something? Someone better than the Queen of England is here. The King of all kings is here. The King of eternity, the potentate, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. The Almighty God has shown up that is better than any person that's ever lived in the history of the world. And we give Him glory, and we give Him praise, and we give Him honor because He is deserving, and He is a good God. Amen. 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 I mean, if a dignitary would show up, we'd, we'd probably be expected to be all smiles. We'd be sitting at the edge of our seat. We wouldn't be going, we'd say someone special is here. Someone special is here. And his name's Jesus. And he deserves to be worshipped. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God. You're a good God. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Notice verse number 10. Notice he rolls from this subject of worship. Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for nothing or for no apparent reason? Thank God the doors are open to the church. I'm so thankful. In Jesus' name, the doors of the church will never be closed. That was really weak, but amen. He said, neither, neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for naught. And notice what God says here. God says, I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. God said, God was telling Israel, I got no pleasure in you. I got no pleasure in you because you're, try to say it in the nine, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say this the right way. I'm trying to be, but he's like, your, your worship sucks. Your worship, God is looking at Israel and saying, that's the most terrible thing I've ever seen in my life. Literally, in response to that, you know what God said? God said, I got no pleasure in you. I got, it's, it's just, I don't even want to be there. You know what that tells us something about the heart of God, though? That when God finds real worship, you know what God does? He finds pleasure in worship. He, when, when he finds a people that are heartfelt in their worship, that are dedicated in their lives, that love him with all they have, God says, oh, I get pleasure in that. And you know when God gets pleasure in our worship? You know what the Lord does? The Lord shows up when he finds pleasure in his people. 
I'm telling you that the thing that makes this church this church, listen up very closely, is the presence of God. Is the fact, this is not a religious exercise. This isn't something we just do to just do. But we have a confidence when as the people of God, we rally our voices together as one. We begin to sing. We begin to harmonize. We begin to lift our hearts up to God. A tear may come out of the corner of someone's eye. Another person may lift their hands. Another person may be doing a little dance. And all of a sudden, a spirit of harmony and unity and worship comes into the place. And the people of God begin to worship their God. You know what happens? The God that we serve is not just a distant deity. He's a God that says I'll show up. I'll be with you. My presence will be there. My power will be there. Come on, miracles show up. Signs and wonders happen. Conversion takes place. Revival is real. It's real when God takes pleasure in his people. When God takes pleasure in his people. He shows up and things happen. And I, I would remind us that, that that's what's got to happen. God's got to show up. You know what I'm calling this? I'm calling this post-COVID recovery. Post-COVID recovery. Let me tell you what that means. What that means is our altars are, are popping and they're alive. And they're, 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 there's a fervency that is returned like it's never been before. That we're in lockstep together in a heart of unity. That we're worshiping God and things are alive and revival is happening because that's what God wants. That's what God wants. It's what God wants. God wants revival. God wants revival. Amen. He said, I take no pleasure in you. So what he wanted to do was have pleasure in them. Can I tell you something here today? God likes Sundays. I think God gets excited. He's like, it's Sunday, it's Sunday. Yes, 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 it's Sunday. My people are coming together. And they're going to sing. And they're going to worship. And I'm going to touch them with my spirit. And their hearts are going to open up. You know what? God likes church. I think that's why we ought to like church. I'm not here because I have to be here. I'm here because I want to be here. I, I'm here because I choose to be here. I, I'm here because it makes God happy. And if it makes God happy, I'm going to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. I was glad. Not mad. Glad. Some people get mad. And some people get sad. Okay, but we ought to get glad because it's a highlight. It's a highlight. It's a highlight of our week. You know what's amazing to me, though? To this people, Israel, it was not a highlight of their week. They just, it was a rigorous regimen that they felt like they had no choice about, and they just, they just did. How do we know that? Verse 13 tells us. God said, here we go again. God's quoting them. You said, quote, Okay, bracket, quote, God said, this is what you said. What a weariness is it? Can you imagine? People got there and they're like, he's like, I'm just quoting you. You just said, this is just a weariness. Is this over yet? Is that priest got done teaching yet? Is this over yet? Got better things to do. Are we done yet? Can we get out of here? 
You know, there's a roast in the oven. You know that? That leg of lamb that we saved, it's, 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 it's in the stove right now. What a weariness it is. And that's what, that's what Israel was saying. That's exactly what Israel was saying. What a, weir- what a weariness. Yeah, are you, we, we got to do this again. Are you kidding? And unfortunately to the people of Israel, worship was a weariness. What an insult to God. What I've just come to remind us is, Moody, nah, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to help someone here today because you may feel like you're being a hypocrite when you worship and you don't feel like worshiping. You may be like, oh, I'm being a hypocrite. I don't, I feel terrible. I'm, you know, I'm just being fake. No, you're not being fake. Let me tell you what you're doing. What you're saying is I value God so much that even though I don't feel very good today, I made a decision because God is so valuable in my life that regardless of how I feel, I'd say my marriage is not all that great. You know, I just, I'd probably be a hypocrite. I probably, no, I tell you what it is. It's an act of, it's a determination. It's a decision. It's a commitment of the heart that says this isn't, worship isn't about me. Worship is about him. And when I don't feel like getting up and, and getting at it and praying, I'm going to pray it. When I don't feel like worshiping God, it does, it, it's inconsequential. It doesn't matter because God's good all by himself. God's good regardless of where I'm at in life. I offer praise not because of my state. I offer praise because of his value. He's a good God. That's why I praise him. I praise him because he deserves to be praised. You don't know, Pastor, I'm kind of bipolar. <laughs> I'm kind of moody right now. I'm up and down, round and round. In fact, right now, I'm kind of crabby. And you don't want to look at me sideways. That's all fine and dandy. But at the end of the day, what I, I, tell, you, I tell you the prescription for any problem in your life. And I'm not trying to be overly simplistic. God's always worthy of my praise. And whatever happens, uh, I'm going to keep my focus on him. I'm going to keep on loving him. I'm going to keep on worshiping him. I'm going to keep glorifying him. I'm going to say, this is the day that the Lord hath made. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God's blessed me with something things. There have been some days that I've had the greatest test of my life, that God's taken things out of my life. And whether you're in a given season or a taken season from God, God's still God and God's still good and God is still worthy of my worship regardless of how I feel or the state of my life because he's a good God all by himself. What a weariness they said. So, what's the message, Malachi? The message, Malachi, would tell us is that worship matters. Worship matters. The very first chapter, before God goes silent for four years, God says, I want, I want you to be reminded of something, that worship matters. God wants to know what his people think about him. God, God sometimes evaluates my life and says, is he passionate about me? Does he care more about me than he does the trophy buck? Does he care more about me than the amount of money that he's got in his bank account? God wants to know, does he care more about me than he cares about his hobbies and his stuff and his possessions? God wants to know, am I grateful? God wants to know, am I thankful? Does it show? God wants to know, is this a weariness to me? Or is this something that comes from my heart because I want to? And I tell you what, when God finds a people that choose to and they want to and they say, yes, I love him. He is my first priority. 
He is my God. He is my life. I worship God because he's a good God. I want you to know this good God takes note of it. And he is pleased when we worship him. He is pleased when we worship him. So Worship matters. Worship matters. It matters to God. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say it like this. And I know we're Pentecost, and I know we do this thing. We do this, right? Cannot become a matter of just tradition. Worship, genuine heartfelt worship, it's, it's the whole enchilada. It's the whole deal. It's, all, it's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. Because worship matters to God. God wants to receive our worship. Let me tell you, let me tell you another thing. Worship not only matters to God, but worship matters to God's people. Let me explain something to you. Let me explain why worship matters to God's people. Because listen up. If I don't worship God and I don't keep focus on God, listen up. I'll tell you what's going to happen. Something is going to become the God in my life. That's true. If I don't worship God and I don't keep a focus on Him in my regular daily life, and at bare minimum, we come to the house of God and we offer up prayer and worship. Thank God that comes every seven days. God gives that to us as a gift to him. It's a gift to him and to us. We worship. Because if I don't worship God, you know what? Something else is going to enter into the equation. You know what's going to become more important? Drugs are going to become more important. Sex is going to become more important. You know what's going to become more important? Money is going to become, I got to, I got to work more hours. Listen, you, you can work more hours, and you can, you can work so many hours, and you can make so many dollars. But at the end of the day, when you're in eternity and you're getting ready to face God, how much money you got in your 401K isn't going to matter squat when you meet God. The only thing that's going to matter, and that's why God gives us the gift. He gives us the gift of worship. The gift of worship brings our life back into alignment. I have a God in my life. His name's Jesus. My life is centrifugal to God. My life rotates around God. It's all about Him. I love Him. He's the God of my life. The greatest gift He gives to any of us is the reminder that I need God in my life. I worship God in my life. He is my God. There is no other God Come on, there's none beside him. There's none before him. There's none like him. There's none comparable to him. There's only one God in my life. And if I worship God, guess what? Let me tell you the, the, the fastest way to a better version of yourself. You know what it is? Worship God. So many people are trying to be better. They're trying to be better. They're trying to be better. They're trying this. They're getting educated. They're getting plastic surgery. I'm getting better. I got a better. Got to have a better version of me. Got to have a better version of me. I got to do better. I got to live in a better house. Drive a nicer car. I got to do better. Got to do better. Let me tell you the fastest way for humanity to improve is to put God in the middle of their life and begin to lift up the Lord, and it'll be a better version of you because humans were built to have God as the center. Of their lives as the center of their lives and if God is not the center of my life oh my goodness the other substitutes are poor substitutes and we look at the Old Testament people right we go <laughs> fools worship rocks and stones and carved them <laughs> fools and yet we have improved so much haven't we we've got we've got more 
We've got more advanced, technologically advanced gods than the 21st century. But you know what? They produce the same thing. Stupidness. That's a theological word. That's what it produces, stupidness. But oh, we have God as the center of our life. That's what Malachi is saying. All right, here we go. The whole duty of man is to constantly and humbly acknowledge the greatness and supremacy of God. He is number one. Our worship is for him. And worship is the greatest thing that a human being can do. To open its heart, open our heart, and, and to bring our heart in obedience and love to this awesome, great God is the greatest thing. And fundamentally, the primary duty of every human being, number one, is to worship God. So with that in mind, I have two points. Number one, if that's that important, don't worship the wrong God. Allah is not God. I know we got pluralism going on in our society. Allah is not God. Buddha is not God. Self is not God. I'm not God. I was hoping for a whole lot more amens than that. You guys got me worried. Come on, self is not God. Come on. Money is not God. Possessions are not God. Sports are not God. Hobbies are not God. Even family is not God. Family is a good value, but listen, th there is something that reigns supreme over your family. God. Sex is not God. The, the first thing is don't worship the wrong God. And that's been the mistake people have made throughout history, worshiping the wrong God. So number one, don't worship the wrong God. There is only one God. His name is Jesus. We sang that song, didn't we? I'm going to sing it for you right now. No, I'm not. Right? He sang, that, he sang that song. They sang that song. There's one God. His name is Jesus. He's God and the Father. He's God and the Son. God and the Holy Ghost. All these three, I want to know that God. said I wasn't going to sing it. <laughs> there's only one God, though. When you get to heaven, there's going to be one throne and one sitting upon that throne. You know who it's going to be? It's going to be Jesus. It's going to be Jesus. Gonna be Jesus. He's Almighty God. So don't worship the wrong God. Say it with me. Don't worship the wrong God. My final point. Don't worship the wrong God, number one. Number two, don't worship the right God in the wrong way. <laughs> oh man, I want to preach on that. That's kind of what you've been doing. Don't worship the right God in the wrong way. Here. That's a sucky sacrifice. I'm tired of that. You, you don't even, I've just had a long week. And, well, just be happy that I'm, just be happy that I'm here. Well, I'm busy. No, worship the right God in the right way. That means we don't have empty prayers and vain repetition and non-moving lips and cold hearts. No, we worship the right God in the right way. We put our hearts into it. Thank you, God. You've been so wonderful to me. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Everything in my life that I have, Lord, is from you. Everything, God, it's come from the hand of the Lord. I'm a blessed man. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, thank you for salvation. Thank you for the blood of Calvary. Thank you that you love so much that you gave. Oh, God, my life is so much better because of you. Come on, worshiping the right God in the right way. That means we get excited sometimes. 
we clap our hands. I know it's not all emotionalism, but man, it sure is some, at least. I, well, I'm Norwegian. Well, I'm Scandinavian. You don't know. I'm just kind of conservative. You don't know. Well, buddy, if I wrote you a $100,000 check right now, your Scandinavian self would get excited. I don't know what it looked like. It'd probably be a little different than, than whatever. Well, I'm German. I'm German. I'm kind of stout. We're just stout Germans. Man, if somebody wrote you, a, somebody paid off your house today or gave you a brand new, you'd be like, woo, yeah. I mean, you, so every once in a while, you know what? We recognize how great our God is. And we worship a great God. Greatly. Oh, man, I wish I had an organ right now. Boom, boom, boom. That's what Malachi would tell us. That's what Malachi was saying. Worship matters. Matter of fact, what he's saying is don't be cheap. Don't be cheap. Don't give God cheap worship. Bored and inattentive and little heart and little action. And I'm preaching to the choir, man, because we had a blowout worship service before. So I'm not, I'm not chiding you. I'm just reminding you. I'm just trying to tell, tell the church what Malachi told Israel. That's all I'm trying to do. Point number one, he told Israel. He told Israel, Israel, worship matters to me. As they were giving him junk, lazy, heartless, effortless, and God wasn't happy about it. He was not happy about it. So here's how I'm going to close this message. Why don't you stand together with me, please? I'm going to close this message. I'm going to try to close this message how I maybe close all of them. And here's how I want to close this message. I want to close this message. Malachi is telling Israel, 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 worship matters. Don't bring blind, lame, junky sacrifices I mean, God goes silent 400 years. Oh, God, I don't want that. We want God talking to us. We want God participating. We want the presence of God. So what we're going to do is we're going to act like Malachi just got done talking to us. And we're going to say this. Thank you, Malachi, for the word. We, we, we thank you for the word of God. We're going to worship God. If, if, if Israel would have listened, how different would it have been? I don't know. Had Israel listened to the word from Malachi that said worship matters. And I want us to end every one of these next few services in the affirmative. In the affirmative. And we're going to say, we hear you loud and clear. We hear the word of God. Oh, he's a good God. He deserves our worship. We want God to take pleasure in our worship. And we're going to magnify the Lord. We're going to be a singing church. We're going to be a praying church. We're going to be a hand-clapping church. We're going to be a leaping church. We're going to be a heartfelt worship church. We're going to close our eyes now and then and lift our hands. Maybe now and then the tears are going to squeeze out of our eyes when we realize how good God's been to us. Our lives are a testimony because the Lord's been good to us. And what we're going to say is we hear you, Malachi. We're going to be a worshiping church. What do you say we do that right now? Oh, hallelujah. We're going to open these altars right now. What do you say that we, we lift our hands and our hearts and worship to God?